Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. I pray that today, God, you would speak to us, you would do a new work in us, and God, I just pray that you would do something cool today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Kiddos, if you want to stand up and head back with Pastor Monica back there. Everybody else, I got something I want to share with you on the screen. Where are you going? We're going to miss the plane. When the McAllister family left on their Christmas vacation. Did we miss the plane? No, you just made it. They forgot one small thing. Have yourself. I have a terrible feeling. Did you lock up? Yeah. Do we set the timers on the lights? Mm Mm-hmm. What else could we be forgetting? Kevin! Ah! Home alone. Police in the northern suburbs are on the lookout for a pair of burglars who are calling themselves the Wet Bandits. We know that you're in there. It's Santa Claus. And it's Elf. Get off my property. My house. I have to defend it. Where's your mother? My mom's in the car. Where's your father? He's at work. What about your brothers and sisters? I'm an only child. Where do you live? Can't tell you that. Why not? Because you're a stranger. He's a kid. I mean, what can a kid do to us? Kids are stupid. I know I was. You still are, Mark. Zip. Ah! I don't care if I have to get out on your runway and hitchhike. I am going to get home to my son. I'm dressed like a chicken. Gus Polinski, Polka King of the Midwest. If you have to get to Chicago, we'll gladly drive you. Hey, guys. Yesterday, he was just a kid. Ah! But tonight, ah! he's a home security system. You guys give up? Oh, yeah, thirsty for more. From John Hughes. You know, I got a feeling this is going to be your best Christmas ever. A family comedy without the family. Ah! Home alone. Are you here all alone? I'm eight years old. You think I'd be here alone? I don't think so. Christmas at the movies. Last week, Bethany jumped into this new series where we're going to take some Christmas movies and kind of break them down and just look at some cool things from them. But isn't it funny how some movies just stand the test of time? Last week, Bethany talked about The Age of Elf, uh, a classic in many households, which is 20 years old. Does anybody know how old Home Alone is? This blew my mind this week. Home Alone came out in the year 1990. So Home Alone is 33 years old. And I don't know about you, but that feels crazy to me. I know a lot of times if you are uh, new, you know, used to hearing me preach, a lot of times I like to make fun of my age. Uh, but here's just a little fun little fact. Uh, this movie had been out for five years before I was born. Five years. The, VH te- the VHS tapes were floating around homes. You were jumping them into the VHS player before I was even a thought. And Home Alone, despite its age, is a tried-and-true Christmas classic. So much so that if you were to ask my five-year-old who's back in the kids' wing right now what his favorite Christmas movie is, I would bet a lot of money he would say Home Alone. As a matter of fact, 
uh, for the last two weeks, my two kids, both of them, will just randomly walk around the house and go, Kevin! Really, really loud because they love this movie so much. Uh, they love it. And uh, someday when I find more time and more spare time, I'm going to take all of the different, like, punishments these guys go through and rank them from, like, most painful to least painful and then see if you guys agree with me. But there's something about this movie that I just absolutely love to watch. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to preach through it today because uh, a lot of times when you see a movie like this, there's not like, oh, yeah, that's a great life lesson. You're just watching it for a movie. But I'm going to pull some cool things out because it's really fun to see it uh, from that perspective. And if you have not seen Home Alone, you have homework today. I would encourage you to go home and watch it, please, because it is a hilarious movie. But let me give you the gist of it right now. You have a big family, like a really big family with a lot of kids, a lot of cousins, a lot of all that different stuff. And Kevin uh, is the youngest of them all, and he gets picked on the most. Youngest siblings, you just have it the worst, don't you? Like no one sees you for what it's what you're worth. Just, you, you get nothing that you want. Youngest siblings just don't get anything, right? As the oldest sibling, I'm here to say, you are wrong. Quit being a baby, okay? You're fine. But the youngest sibling for Kevin here, he has a little blow-up. He has a moment where he's just sick and tired of getting picked on. He blows up, and then after that, he has a blow-up with his mom. His mom puts him in the loft, and the next morning, when they all go off to France, and they're frantic because their alarm clock didn't go off, they accidentally leave Kevin McAllister home alone. And here's how I know times have changed in 33 years, because if a kid was home alone at eight years old now, there'd probably be a puddle of urine somewhere because they'd realize this is terrifying that I'm home alone at eight years old. Where are my parents? But for Kevin, he's like, my wildest dreams are, have come true. He's, you can see him. He's eating ice cream in the morning. He's sledding down the steps. He's watching movies he can't normally watch. He jumps on the bed. All of these things, he is in hog heaven until it gets a little too real that he is home alone. Now, if you look in Scripture, ironically enough, I believe there's a character that just as I was studying through this, I really kind of realized there's actually some similarities between this guy and Kevin from the movie, and I can't see either of them the same from that point forward. But I'm going to read with you here in Matthew chapter 26, uh, and it's, it's towards the end of Jesus's life. He's having the last supper. It's the last meal they have together with the people, and he, he's, he's saying, Hey, guys, here's what's going to happen. I know we've talked about this for three or four times, but you still have not come to grips with it. I am going to die. I am going to be betrayed. I have come to do what God has called me to do. And they're like, what? This is the first time you've told us this. Husbands in the room, you're like, amen to that. But they're so blown away that they're like, I, this, this doesn't make any sense. But the kicker in Matthew 26 as Jesus says, here's the deal. You are all going to fall away. Every single one of you is going to abandon me in this moment. And for them, this is a big deal. For the three years that they have loved, the, for the last three years, they've followed this guy. They, they've given everything for Jesus. They've done all these incredible things alongside him, and they couldn't possibly imagine not standing up for him. So when he says, hey, this is going to happen, and you're all going to fall away. I need us to understand that's probably like a, you could hear a pin drop in that room. Because it's a sincere and severe moment, like what in the world is happening? A sobering 
reality. When one such disciple speaks up in the silence, and Peter replied in verse 33, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Ah, there's that one person. I love how he just throws the other 11 under the bus. Hey, Jesus, even if all of them, you know, because they're, they're weak, okay? We all know I'm, I'm the man here, okay? If they all fall away, that's fine, but I never will. I will never abandon you. Isn't it funny when they try to tell Jesus who knows everything that he's wrong? Like, he knows everything. And so Jesus says, hey, this is going to happen. And Peter goes, silly Jesus. No, I'm not going to abandon you. I would never do that. Verse 34, truly I tell you, Jesus answered. As a matter of fact, this very night before the rooster crows, you, Peter, are going to deny me three times. Talk about like an absolute gut punch. Like you're, you're trying to stand up for Jesus, and he's saying, you know, as a matter of fact, not only are you going to disown me, you're going to disown me three times tonight. What a gut punch. Not like Jesus is wrong, but like what, a, what is going to come of me? How could I possibly do that? But Peter is in denial. He goes, Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Even if I have to die, I will never disown you. Now, if you know the story, you know what happened. So before you get ahead of me, I just want to take a pause here. Because a lot of times it's easy for us to kind of pick on the disciples and go, what are you guys doing? But I want to take a moment to just go, man, I want a faith like Peter had. I want a faith that says, Jesus, I don't care what comes. I don't care what comes after us. I don't care what comes of our life. If I have to die, I will not disown you. It's easy for us to say that. But when you actually come to grips with that, that's, that's a tough thing to say. Because if you were to get really honest with yourself for just a second, like if you were to just be very, very honest and raw, and you were in a situation where it was life or death, what would you be willing to give your life for? Like it's either you survive or they do. What's that going to look like? I think for a lot of us parents in the room, it's easy for us to make this connection with kids. If it was you or your kid, take me. But, but think honestly for a second. What else would it be? If you were in a situation or was that or you? What's it going to be? That's one thing. We're so blessed and we're so grateful that we get to be in a country, in a state where we can come to church and we can hear messages, we can worship, we can read this Bible, we can do all these different things without a ton of pushback. Yeah, culturally, people might think we're weird. You know, we might get a little bit of pushback. That way someone might not treat us super kind, but we're not going to be risking our life to come to church. It blew my mind to really kind of set in when, a couple months ago, I had some friends of mine that I went to Bible college with. And they became missionaries a few years later. And they're in a country that is very hostile to this book, that is very hostile to the name of Jesus. And it was crazy to get their update when they said, a bunch of missionaries in our country have been killed in the last few months. The opposition is actually going from house to house. They know our names. They know our family. They know where we live. And one by one, they're going interrogating. If they're not going to stop preaching, they're killed. 
it kind of hits home in that moment when you're like, I walked the hallways with you. I, I went to classes. We sat in the same classroom, and you are telling me and typing me an email that says, we're not sure when or if we're going to come home because we're sharing the gospel of Jesus. And that, like, hit me in another way of, like, man, when they talk about giving their life for Jesus, that is an incredible and awesome thing, but it is something that is very, very heavy. But what it shows me, the reason they're saying that is not because they're just trying to be martyrs, not just because they're trying to be awesome, but to me what that says is their relationship, their connection, their walk with God is so important, so integral to them that to disown Jesus, to cut ties, to disassociate with from him would be worse than death. What you're willing to give up for something reveals its value. And I pray that I have that same value, that my faith is the most important thing in my life because my relationship to Jesus fuels everything else. And I pray that I would have the heart of Peter. Their hearts were in the right spot. But sure enough, Jesus was right. Who would have thought? He was right. They would disown him. They get up from the dinner table. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus knows this is it. This is where I'm going to be captured. This is where I'm going to be taken. And he prays and he prays and he prays and he prays and he prays. He says, God, I, I, I don't want to do this, but not my will, but your will be done. And hours later, here come the soldiers to take Jesus into for questioning and inevitable crucifixion. So as the soldiers walk up, the disciples are there with Jesus. And if you were to open up Matthew 26, verse 36, you could read exactly what happens. But I want to show you just kind of in summary what that probably looked like in the garden on that night through the eyes of Kevin McAllister. This is ridiculous. Only a wimp would be hiding under a bed. I can't be a wimp. I'm the man of the house. That's what I picture. That's what I picture in the Garden of Gethsemane. They're all like, I'm the man of the house. I will never disown you. And then here come the soldiers. And off they run. Like they scatter like cockroaches when the light comes on. They are gone in a moment. But here's what I want to show us through that. Because, again, it's easy to kind of just lob shots at them. But the reality is we kind of do the same thing, don't we? Their intention was right. Their, their intent to stand by Jesus was awesome. Their heart was in the right spot. But I've noticed in my life, everybody, that growth happens in our life. When we cross the chasm between intention and action. Your intentions are great. I, I intend to do this. You know, this time of year especially, we have a lot of really good intentions. Like for me, I, I could have the best intention of like, you know what? 
In 2024, I'm going from 140 to 200 of straight muscle. It's going to be awesome. I'm going I'm to get the protein. I'm going to talk to a personal trainer. I am going to get jacked in 2024. We can have that intention. We can have the intention of I'm going to be a better parent. I'm going to be a better spouse. I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to you know, be better with my faith. We, we, we kind of sit here and we get all charged up. Like, I am going to do this, and I am going to put plans in place. I'm going to you know, do all this, all this great stuff, and we are going to get this no matter what. It reminded me of the first year that my wife and I were married. We lived in a little studio apartment in Minneapolis, and we didn't have two nickels to rub together, but we made it. And at that year, my wife was super into fitness, and uh, she's super into health. She's like, you know what, Derek? I really, in January, want to do a whole 30. You guys ever heard of full 30? It's death. It's death. Here's what whole 30 is. Vegetables. Fruit, meat, nothing else. That's what it boils down to. Oh, and water. Okay. And I, I'm not here to, to, to dig on whole 30. I, I joke, but seriously, like that was really what it boiled down to. And for, for my wife, she's like, I'm going to do this. I'm like, you know what? I will do it with you because I want to support you. I'm behind you. We are a married couple. We are going to do this. And so we go to Whole Foods, spend $400 on two bags of groceries. We get our stuff. We go home. We sit down. We The first day we have, like, you know, these burgers and potatoes. I'm like, oh, this isn't bad. I can survive this. And the next morning I go to the cupboard to grab Pop-Tarts, and I'm like, nope, can't have Pop-Tarts because that's not any of you know, fruits, vegetables, or meat. And so I was like, all right, it's okay. She's like, here, you can have a Lara bar. We got Lara bars, remember? I was like, oh, yeah, I'll try one of those. You guys ever had tree bark? It's a little softer but less flavorful than a Lara bar. I was like, oh, I sure love you, babe. This is a great idea. The next day, I got home from studying, and I was like, I might actually cry because I need a burger right now. Not like a Whole30 grass-fed beef, but like a McDonald's double quarter pounder, greasy dripping down my fingers burger. I started to fantasize about these things. By day four, I wasn't sure if I was even still with it. I thought I was like delirious, and I was I was starting to go backwards. I was like, at this rate, I'm going to be 20 pounds by the time these 30 days are over. And so after four days, I quit. And I was like, babe, I love you. You are so awesome. I can't wait to cheer you on, and I will eat all this stuff when you're not looking, but I can't do this anymore. My intention was to stick it through, but I went from a whole 30 to a whole four, and it was a whole awful the whole time. My intention was in the right spot, but the actual action was not because here's the deal. When you can have great intentions, I'm going to do this. I'm going to discipline myself. I'm going to do all these great things. I want to get from here to there, and I'm going to do it. But we don't underestimate, or we underestimate what lies in the chasm to get from there to there. In the chasm comes fatigue, exhaustion. It comes difficulty. It comes pushback. It comes fear. It comes peer pressure. It comes busyness. It comes scheduling conflicts. The chasm is the Grand Canyon of different things that will try to keep you from there to there. The reason we don't get from there to there is not because we don't want it bad enough, because we want it plenty bad enough. The reason we don't get from there to there is because we're not disciplined enough to get from there to there. Because across the chasm takes discipline. It takes intentionality. It takes sacrifice. It takes setting things aside. It takes all these different things to get from there to there. 
And let me tell you something. When you try to get from there to there in your faith, not only do you have all those things, but not to intimidate or scare, but just to bring a matter of fact, there's also an enemy that's alive and active that's pushing back against you. As you're trying to walk that way towards the things that God has for you, as you're trying to live the life God's calling you to live, as you're, call, if you, if you're like, God, I'm going to get closer to you, as you start to walk this way, there is an adversary that is trying to push you back the other direction. It's real. It's intentional. He wants nothing more than to crush you in your faith because he knows at the end of this thing, he loses. So he's trying to take everything out with you. Now, here's the good news with that. Jesus wins. What a powerful name it is. He's more powerful than the enemy. That's how we get through that adversary is we cling to him. But here's what this looks like in our faith. See, we start with intention. If you're in this room, it's probably because you want to grow in your faith or somebody you're sitting next to does. So you're going, I'm going to grow in my faith. I'm going to grow closer to God. I'm going to do, you know, the things I got to do so I can get closer to God. I can get my life back on track. So we start with that intention. We're like, you know what? I'm going to go to church. And I'm going to get back on this. We go today. And then next week we go Christmas Eve. Eve is awesome. But then when New Year's Day rolls around, we're like, ooh, I am tired. I've been good. I've been, I've been, I've been sticking with it. We'll just make sure we hit it on the 6th. Then the sixth rolls around. You had a terrible week at work, and you were out late the night before with family members. And sometimes family, we love them, but they are family. You're like, I just need to sleep in today. And all of a sudden now, weeks go by, and we're like, shoot. It's been weeks since I've been around other people that, that can encourage me and support me. For the last year, Derek's been talking about how we got to get into this word and know this Bible. And so, you know, I grabbed a Bible and I was really good about reading it for a week or two weeks or a month. But just lately, life's been busy and I've been, I've been out of it. I've, there's been a lot on my mind. And it's been tough to kind of get back into it. Or I should sure, I, I, I've been really like, God really put it on me that I need to share my faith with this coworker, with, with, you know, with, with this person. And I, I, I've had opportunities, but the moment I step into it, I just get really nervous. Like, what are they going to think about me? Are they, are they going to think I'm weird? Like, what if they reject me? And so we kind of shrink away. You see where I'm going with this, right? The intention is there, but the action is tough because there's this chasm of things that try to get in our way. But here's the good news. There's a way over the chasm. There's a way over the canyon. But it's not about doing more. It's about being more. Let me show you what I mean. Peter, despite his zealous, despite his intention, Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will not disown you. Well, that didn't come true either. If you read on in Matthew, basically what happened is Peter follows. While everybody else scatters like termites or cockroaches, Peter kind of lollygags behind the group. He watches Jesus get taken in. He's kind of off in the distance, kind of just watching from safety. Well, as he's watching, there's a little girl that comes up to him and says, Hey, aren't you with Jesus? Little girl. And Peter goes, Nope, nope, that's not me. You're crazy. Leave me alone. Well, as he goes to the fire to warm up, there's another little girl going, You know, you kind of have a Galilean accent. I think you might be with Jesus. And Peter, on a girl, curses her and gets mad. No, I am not with them. What are you talking about? You are crazy. And another person, number three, comes up and says, hey, 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 I recognize you. You, you are totally with him. And Peter freaks out, goes crazy. He says, no, 
I am not with them. Well, as he does that, a rooster crows. Peter goes, <laughs> he's right. Just disowned him three times. And Peter, this man who said, you know what, God, I'm going to stand with you no matter what, just denied him three times. And you can imagine, I love how the Bible just lays out, Peter weeps. We're not talking about like, oh, I'm sad. We're talking about like ugly crying, weeping, knowing I just failed, Jesus. I just failed, Jesus. He's broken. He runs off. But here's what's so cool. If you were to go to the other, one of the other gospels called John, Jesus dies. He goes from that night. He's crucified. He's hung on a cross. He dies. And for three days, he's dead. But he comes back to life. And he comes back to connect with his disciples. Well, he finds Peter while he's fishing back at his old job. He pulls him off to the shoreline. And three times, it's my favorite chapter in all of the Gospels, three times Jesus says, hey, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? He redeems him. And he's redeemed. He's forgiven. He's like aware of what he did. But then he's aware how much greater the mercy and grace of God. I want to show you what happens. Because he goes from there. And when you're done with that, the timeline, if you flip to the book of Acts, that follows from that point on. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is with the other disciples now after this cool moment with Jesus. And the day of Pentecost comes, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And after they're filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter stands up to a group of thousands of people and preaches about the name of Jesus. He went from little girl can't stand up for his faith to preaching to thousands because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. You flip the page and go to Acts chapter 3. He's on the way to go and pray at the temple. As he's walking up to the temple, he knows there's a man right by the front door off to the side who's crippled. He can't walk. He can't move. He's crippled. He's decrepit, but he's begging for money because he needs it to survive. And so what does Peter do? Before he goes in to pray, before he goes in to spend his time with the Lord, he goes over and looks down at the man. And the man puts up his little can to say, hey, can you have any money? And Peter looks at him and says, hey, I don't have any money to give you, but what I do have to give you, I give you. And he prays for the man and says, in Jesus' name, be healed. And with that, the man gets up, he stands on his feet, he worships, he's completely healed. Who is this guy? Because this is a different kind of Peter. Then we read about chapters before. And here's where it all comes to a head. Acts chapter 4. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day day but many who heard the message believed so the number of men who believed grew to about five thousand these were the same men who put jesus in the ground the pharisees were the ones who really kind of you know put took the initiative but the sadducees were the ones grilling him the whole time leading up to it and they knew that what they're doing what the apostles are doing this whole Jesus thing that we tried to squish, that's why they killed him. We can't have this. It's now growing out of control. And if we don't handle this right now, it is going to exponentially grow. 
Side note, what a cool thing. What an obligation for us as the church now. But that's for free. That's not what we're talking about, okay? What we're talking about is Peter. And look at this. Peter, who couldn't stand up for his faith, is now being put into prison because he is sharing his faith. So what they do is they throw him in, in jail. They're like, okay, guys, we got to get a handle on this right now. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to get all the big wigs, all the important people. We're going to put together a big council and make sure that when they walk in, we're going to intimidate them and let them know what's up. So they grab everybody. They grab all the big wigs. If I, if I were to bring it into our context now, this would be equivalent if I was thrown in jail and the next day I walked into my office and there was the Pope, the Archbishop, the head of our denomination, the president, the mayor, the governor, Bethany, all these people are just waiting for me, right? All these people, they're, they're just waiting for the disciples to come in. They come in and look what happens. They had Peter and John brought before them and they began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? Because this is the guy that couldn't stand up for his faith mere weeks before. And now when he is face to face with people who have the power and ability to bury him, literally, he says, you want to know? Here's what you got to know. It's Jesus. Oh, yeah, the guy that you put in the ground, the guy that you killed, yeah, it's because of him. And take whatever you want, but we will not stop preaching this. That is the power that we have. Not us, it's him. Here's my favorite part. Here's the word for all of you in this room, the word for our church, the word for St. Francis, Minnesota right now. Verse 13 of Acts chapter 4. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They could tell that they had been with Jesus. You know what's really funny? Side note. You know what the Greek word for ordinary, unschooled is? Idiotes. And it's spelled like idiots. Hilarious. These ordinary people, where are they getting this courage from? Where are they getting this knowledge from? Where are they having this gumption to stand up to thousands of people and talk about the gospel? What what is going on? Ah, they had been with Jesus. And that's my question for me. That's the question I have to ask myself. That's the question I'm going to ask you. Can people tell you've been with Jesus? Do you look like you've been with Jesus? The way you respond, the way you act, the things that you do, the things that you say, the things that you don't say, the things that you don't do. Can people tell that you've been with Jesus? Because if you spend time with him, if you give your life to him, if you fully surrender to him, there is going to be an internal change inside of you that's going to translate to an external change. Peter was not a different person because he tried harder. No, no. 
Peter was a better person, a stronger leader, because he was transformed from the inside out. He was redeemed and forgiven by God. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was obedient to what God called him to do. He was emulating what Jesus did. And that is why he was different on the outside. You can try to grit your teeth and live a holier life and do more for God and look more like a Christian. But until you fully surrender and fully give your life to him and fully learn from him, it will all just be intention. The reason Peter was a different person was because he was truly different on the inside because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing, everybody. It's the spirit of Christmas. Even if for people who don't go to church, people who are not spiritual, there's something about the magic of Christmas, the spirit of Christmas. There's this nonsensical hope where everything's going to be okay. There's an overwhelming moment of joy. There's happiness. People are just in a better mood. That's the spirit of Christmas. Where do you get the spirit of the spirit of Christmas? Spirit of God. What that means is as believers, as people who trust in God, we're called to have the spirit of Christmas 365. Because that spirit is inside of us, just like it was for Peter. And so when you come to grips with that, when you come to grips with who you are, what you've been entrusted with, what God's calling you to do, it's something different inside of you that translates outwardly to make a difference. Let's see what happens. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.
see what happens. Acts 4.13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. These men were different kind of men in the same way that Kevin was a different Kevin after his parents left him alone. Church, the mark of spiritual maturity is not how much you know about God, but how much you look like him. I know people who know a lot about faith, a lot about this book, a lot about God. You don't look very much like him. Look at the story. The Sadducees, they knew a lot of information. They knew a lot about just faith and God and what he's going to do. But look who stood in the way of what God wanted to do. It's important to be knowledgeable. It's important to know this book. It's important to know who God is and what he does. But it's so important for us to not just be puffed up, as the word says, but to follow through and act the things that we know about God. How much do you look like Jesus? Because let me show you something. This is what blew my mind. Rewind the story. Peter gets up and preaches to a group of thousands, just like Jesus did. He was on the way to the temple to pray. Guess who else took time out of his day to pray? Jesus did. On his way to the temple, on his way to do what he was going to do, he saw a need off to the side of there's a crippled and lame man that needs help. Guess who else interrupted his own plans to be there for people in need? Jesus did. Guess who else got down to eye level with the crippled man and said, Hey, what I don't, I don't have any money to give you, but what I do can give you is healing. You want to pray? Let's pray. He prayed. And guess who else did the same thing? Jesus did. Guess who else saw a lame man walk up and get up and praise God? Jesus did. Guess who else came face to face with opposition and in the face of opposition said, I have nothing to hide. I am doing exactly what God called me to do. Jesus did. Peter looked an awful lot like Jesus through all of the book of Acts. They could tell he had been with Jesus. So my question is, do we look like Jesus? Is the way that we're living our life, the way we're pursuing God, is it looking like Jesus? I don't know about you guys, but I want that. And there are moments I don't look like Jesus. There are moments I look like a broken person going, I wanted to do that, but I did that. Don't know how that happened. But it's a spiritual journey. And that's why I love Peter. It's because he made all kinds of mistakes. But he continued to let God speak to him and continue to forgive him, continue to redeem him, continue to be there for him. And over time, he became that man Jesus always knew he would be. If you want to look like Jesus, you got to be okay with failing. You got to be okay with getting it wrong and asking for forgiveness. But you also have to be okay with choosing to continue to move from intention to action. I'm a practice guy. How do you do that practically? You got to decide, are you willing to step into the chasm? Coming out of the new year, you might have felt that problem. I need to get into a small group. I got to meet other people from church. I got to have people to keep me accountable. But every time it comes up, you're like, I'm busy. Work is unpredictable. I got stuff going on. Maybe it's time for you to say, you know what? I'm going to make time for this. 
Maybe you're like, you know what? I, I need to get into my Bible. I, I, I've kind of been putting it off, and, and I'm not sure where to go with it, but I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to ask Derek, or I'm going to ask somebody else. I'm going to ask somebody to keep me accountable. I'm going to read this book for real. You know, maybe you're like, you know what? I, I want to talk to this person about faith, and I need God's power. So, Derek, will you pray with me? Husband, wife, will you pray with me? Would we, can we just get this thing going? I don't know what it is for you. But if we want to look like Jesus, we have to be willing to look like Jesus. And what Jesus did is he served. And Jesus sacrificed. And Jesus spent time with God the Father. To look like Jesus, you have to do what Jesus did. And that's my challenge for you today. I don't know what it is that even right now as I'm speaking, that maybe God's pressing on your heart. My challenge to you would be decide what that is. Step into the chasm to go from intention to action. Because let me tell you what, when you get to action, you're going to see God use you and do things in a powerful and incredible way. But you look like Jesus. If you do, it's not just your life that will be different. Potentially dozens, if not hundreds, if not thousands of people will be different. Not just in this world, but in eternity. You step into it. Here's what I'm going to do today. I want to pray for you to get you out of here. I'm going to pray. The Holy Spirit helps you with that. So Jesus, I come before you today on behalf of the Bridge Church. On behalf of each person in this room, each person listening online, each person listening back to this. God, I come to you on behalf of all of us and I ask God, that you would forgive us. Just like Peter, God, I ask that for the amount of times we've denied you, the times that we've gotten it wrong, I pray, God, that you would forgive us and that you would take our guilt and our shame and our failure and you would redeem it just like you did for Peter. God, give us a fresh start, a new beginning. God, show us how much you love us truly and forgive us for our mistakes. But God, I pray that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit just like you did for Peter. God, I pray for that inward change, that inner stirring, just like it was for Peter, God, that we would not be the same on the inside. And the more we pursue you, the more we go after you, the more we're different on the outside to where people notice and they go, you are different. What's different about you? And you can say with confidence that God is working inside of me and he can work inside of you too. God, I pray for a spirit of boldness in this church. I pray, God, that the people of this church will look like you because they would live for you and they would chase after you in the same way you chased after God the Father. Jesus, would you move in our hearts today? Do a new work. In Jesus' name, amen. Kevin McAllister was a knucklehead. He was crazy, but he was a different kid after it was all said and done. Peter was a knucklehead, but he was a different man when it was all said and done. I don't know where you're at today, I don't know what it is, but I pray you have a great week Hope you have an awesome, awesome day today, and we'll see you guys next Sunday. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.